0: I encourage you to open up your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 to 31a. All right, well, we thought about the glove. Now we're going to think about the hand. So I encourage everyone to take a look at your hand. Your five fingers, your opposable thumb, Imagine how hard it would be to grab things if you didn't have that thumb. How amazing your hand is. It's strong enough to to grab a rope or a pull-up bar and to hang with all your weight. And yet it's from <laughs> no no weight jokes. <laughs> and yet it's it's gentle. Your your hand is gentle and fine enough to thread a needle. Now look at your foot. Not so coordinated, well, it's in a shoe, right? But not so coordinated, but perfectly designed to absorb the weight of your whole body, to balance you perfectly as you move, and to move you quickly over all kinds of terrain. Then there's your tongue. It helps you to chew, and most of the time it stays out of the way of your teeth so it doesn't get bitten. It helps you talk. Our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made. With all these parts, all very different from each other, but each doing their job very well most of the time. That's what Paul is drawing our attention and the the attention of the Corinthians, his first hearers, that's what he's drawing our attention to in this passage. The wondrous diversity of the parts of the human body. And Paul stresses this diversity in our passage. In verse 14, as well as up in verses uh, 12, two times, we didn't read those, Paul mentions our body has many parts, many parts. In verse 20, again, he repeats that there are many parts. Then he imagines what would it be like if all of those many parts could talk to each other? For example, what if the foot said to the hand, well, I'm not a hand like you, so I guess I don't belong here as part of the body. Or what if the ear <clears throat> said to the eye, because I'm not an eye like you, I don't belong to the body. Paul says, that's ridiculous. They'd still be a part of the body, right? <laughs> because that's how God designed the body. To have many parts, diverse parts And each one, verse 18, is just how God arranged it. Each serves a function. And you experience a significant lack if you're missing any of the parts of your body. Then Paul adds, what if the body was one big eye? What if it had no ears? Well, we wouldn't hear very well, would we? And just think what we'd look like. Maybe you remember if you've read the book of Ezekiel, there's that, those heavenly creatures in one of the visions there who had eyes all over their bodies. And maybe you, you picture that and you're like, yuck, that's weird, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> or, or imagine a body that was just full of ears. No eyes, no other parts, just ears. That's not a body, that's a monstrosity. Our body needs all of its different parts it works best with all of its parts. And then Paul takes this metaphor and he applies it to us as a church, right? He he makes that familiar application. He says, "You all are Christ's body. You're one body, so be unified. Yes, we want unity, but we don't want uniformity. We don't want everyone to be the same." If everyone's the same, we don't have a body, we have a monstrosity. We get it, right? Of course, it's obvious, but often it's not actually how we think in practice or how we view or treat other people. In reality, very often what we think is, why can't they be more like me? (laughs) Why can't they see things the way I see them? It's so obvious. Why aren't they good at the things that I value that clearly are important? Those things must be important because I'm good at them. Have you ever noticed that that, the painters, that painters think art is pretty important? And athletes think fitness is pretty important? And scholars think knowledge is quite important? Interesting how that works we tend to value what we're good at. Let me give you some other examples. Some people love a clean house. They don't want a smudge or a spot of dust or any toothpaste spots on the mirror or certainly no hair in the sink. And they're good at cleaning or it's therapeutic for them or at least they get some relief or or some satisfaction when it's done because they're wired that way. But it's so easy for them to look at someone else's messy house and look down on them at least a little bit. And think, "What's wrong with them? They're kind of a slob. They don't they care? Are are they lazy? Are they irresponsible?" You see, we tend to judge others based on what we're good at or what we value. And the other person might be judging us right back. Boy, they're not, uh, they're not very fun. They, their house is so clean, but do they even live in it, right? <laughs> I, I don't think I want to go to their party. It'd probably be a snoozer. When we do this, we, we tend to look at others through through the lens of what we're good at and what our strengths are and what we value and judge them based on that, while on the other hand being totally blind to our weaknesses and what we're not good at and how they might be better at those things than us. I'm not the only one who's caught myself doing this, am I? <laughs> Let me give you another example of this. I had a friend when I was in college. We were both on the leadership team of the the Christian Fellowship Group on campus. And I get frustrated with her for showing up at meetings 30 minutes late. Why was she late? Because on the way to our meeting, she saw a friend and she stopped to chat with them and wound up having a spiritual conversation with them about Jesus. How can you argue with that? Well, if it had only happened once, it would be great, but it it seemed like it happened every third meeting <laughs> because she had a strength for relationship. She was outgoing. She had a strength for sharing her faith. And I was like, great, can you, can you use that gift some other time? <laughs> you know we have a meeting and we're sitting here waiting for you. Because maybe I have a strength and a gift for wanting to be sensitive and considerate to the people close to me and expecting them to do the same for me. In this case, the people at the meeting where we're expecting to get together to talk about important stuff. And when I'm judging her from my perspective, all I can see is that she's failing us. And I become blind to her strength and her gift and the value that that is to the body. Again, am I the only one who does this kind of thing? And so here Paul is, is urging to all of us in today's passage, it's to think body. It's to think we and not me. To think whole body, not just our part of the body. It's to think about the big picture of what's best and what's most healthy for the whole body, not just what's best for me as a single part of the whole. So let's think body for a minute. Let's think we. Again, look at your body. So many parts, all different, all diverse. God made them all and put them all together just right for the whole body to function well. And that's a word picture of who we are supposed to be as a church. Trust me, it would not be good for all of us if everyone was like you or like me <laughs> or, or if they were only good at what we're good at. Imagine if everyone here was super good at cleaning, but nobody was any fun. Nobody knew how to throw a party. Or imagine if everyone was super sensitive and considerate to each other, but nobody noticed those on the outside or wanted to to stop and tell them about Jesus. We need each other, we need the diversity. It's hard to remember that each person is a gift. It's hard to grasp that others see the world so differently from us. Some of us are still trying to grasp the to 2016 and 2020 elections, right? And how people we liked and thought we had so much in common with could vote how they voted could see the candidates so differently from how we saw them so obviously to be? How could other people be so different from us, right? Well, then Paul goes on with this analogy of the body. He goes on from reminding us of the importance of diversity in the body to challenging us to care for and to care about those who are different from us. And especially that those who have more influence in the body, who have leadership positions, who have status or who are on the inside, that they need to care for and about those who don't have these things. Verse 21, the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. The head can't say to the foot, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. In the analogy of the human body, Paul's probably, when he talks about the parts that are weaker, he's probably talking about the internal organs. Because that in Paul's time was how the internal organs were viewed and talked about. The arm, that's strong, right? The thigh is even stronger. Our body is full of muscle and bone. But on the inside, there are a bunch of soft, floppy parts. (laughs) A liver, some kidneys, a pancreas, and they're weak. So much so that they're on the inside, thankfully, where they can be protected. But we sure need those organs, don't we? And then there's the, there are the parts that are less honorable, less presentable. Those are the private parts. So we treat them with special honor, Paul says. We dress them up with clothes to cover them, but also to make those parts of ourselves more attractive. Meanwhile, verse 24, our presentable parts need no special treatment, like our face, right? Maybe a little makeup, but we don't cover that, at least in most cultures, Instead, we show off our face. And then again, Paul makes the analogy to the church. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Do you hear in these words the the drumbeat of challenge to the strong, to, to care for the weaker ones? No division in the body. Greater honor for the parts that lack it. If one part suffers, we're all to suffer. If one part is honored, we all rejoice. Likely here, Paul is thinking back to what he talked about in the last chapter, chapter 11. Remember, if you were here a few weeks ago, all those problems the Corinthians were having with the Lord's Supper. The whole church was gathering in in houses to worship, to eat a meal together, and to celebrate communion in the context of that meal. But the rich people were eating their own meals, fancy, luxurious meals, and the poor people were eating scraps or nothing at all. And the rich didn't care. And of course, it was humiliating to the poor. And Paul in chapter 11, we saw went ballistic over this, right? And I think he's referring back to it here. Nobody who's a top dog should be able to say or act like, I don't need you. You don't matter. No, rather in Jesus's kingdom, God wants those on the bottom to have special honor, right? The last shall be first. The first shall be last, and whoever wants to be great must become the servant of all and wash everyone's feet. That way, everyone, have not strong or weak, will have equal concern for each other. Those who have will, will suffer with those who don't, and everyone will seek the honor of everyone else. Rather than some people shaming or embarrassing others or acting like I'm better than you, I matter more than you. Again, back to that sermon a few weeks ago at the end of chapter 11 and the communion problems, there we saw that we're not in Kansas anymore. Maybe in the world out there there's a pecking order. Maybe. Everyone's playing king of the mountain and trying to climb over everyone else to get more money, more fame, more power, more status, but not in Jesus' kingdom. Because we worship a king who stooped low, so low that he gave his life for all of us. He died on a cross. And so the ground is level at the foot of that cross. Yes, we're diverse, but but that diversity can't turn into distinction or stratification where we say, oh, these people are better than those people. No, that's not how a healthy body functions. A body needs all of its parts. The strong ones, the weak ones, the presentable ones, and the unpresentable ones too. Each is different, each has a different role to play, but all matter to Jesus, and we're supposed to all matter to each other. Again, Paul wants us to learn to think body, to think we, rather than just me. So question, in CBC, does our body have all the parts that God wants us to have? Or are there some parts that we've undervalued and overlooked for so long, maybe, that those people have mostly gone away? Who's missing from our body? What gifts are missing? And is there any part of our body that is overvalued and overrepresented, and so people feel pressure to to be that when, in fact, they are not that way? Just to get us started thinking about this, let's read the rest of this passage and notice some of the parts of the body that Paul mentions, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. So first, let me ask, are there any parts of the body at CBC that are overrepresented or held up as more important than the other parts? As I was reflecting on this, I I was reminded that often a church will tend to overvalue the gifts the pastor has in comparison to the other gifts. Is the senior pastor an evangelist? Well, the church will really value evangelism. Is the senior pastor a caregiver? Well, the church will really value caring. Either because the church already values those gifts and that's why they chose the pastor they chose. Or because the pastor is always up front exercising certain gifts and so everyone comes to see those as most valuable. So here's what this makes me wonder for CBC. CBC. Do we overvalue the gift of teaching? Do we celebrate it over and above equally important gifts like evangelism, for instance? Do we gravitate towards Sunday schools and Bible studies and sermons that teach God's word more than we do getting out there and serving and sharing our faith with those who don't know Jesus yet? Do people who have teaching gifts feel more honored and more encouraged than those with gifts of sharing their faith and reaching out? If so, then we're not functioning as well as we should as a body. Now on this one, you've probably noticed I've tried to compensate. I've tried hard to value and to stress the importance of outreach and of mission. Because I'm aware that historically churches tend over time to grow inward looking. We we value teaching, we value caregiving, everyone inside the building wants to be fed, wants to be cared for, and, and lets it be known if they are not. But who is... A, out there in the world is going to show up at an elders meeting or come to a congregational meeting and complain you church people are not doing enough to share about your Jesus with people like me out in the world, right? That's not going to happen. And so if the squeaky wheel gets the grease, then we're always going to tend toward the needs that are inside the church and overlook the needs outside. And that's why we need those gifted to be evangelists. Because they won't let us forget about those outside. They'll keep reminding us about our mission and of the needs to get out there and share our faith. And if we won't listen to them, if we sideline our evangelists, if we say to them, because you're not like me, I have no need of you. If we undervalue them, they might eventually leave. And that's what's happened over and over and over again in the Western church. Those who are outreach-minded have left the church in discouragement. They've become missionaries. That's good. They've joined parachurch ministries like InterVarsity or Crew or Youth for Christ, All good things, but that's where their gifts were valued. Or maybe they've just gone out and gone into sales or business. But meanwhile, without them, local churches suffer and stagnate. Instead of being healthy bodies, we become monstrosities. Full of teaching and knowledge or full of caring or full of whatever, but doing very little to impact the outside community or the mission of God to share the good news of Jesus with the whole world. May we always fight against that tendency as a church. And instead, make room for all the gifts and the, and the, and the correctives and the counterbalances that all the different gifts bring. Well, if on the one hand we might be tempted to overvalue gifts like teaching or caring, what gifts might we undervalue? Well, here are the obvious ones for a church like ours, and, and I'm just reading the scripture here at face value, verse 28. What about apostles? What about prophets? What about miracles and healing? What about speaking in tongues? Now, I know there are whole theologies about these gifts and whether they're still active today. Some of you come from traditions where you were taught to be suspicious of these gifts because they can and they have led to trouble and danger and unhealth and hurt and these gifts were doing that among the corinthians actually that's why paul is is writing to them that's what he's writing to them about here and he's going to address the directly address the problems they're causing when we get to chapter 14 but paul doesn't in any way diminish these gifts He doesn't discourage them. He certainly doesn't forbid them. Rather, he just corrects the unhealthy ways they were being practiced. And I realize there are theologies that argue these gifts ceased at some point in time. And if you hold that theology, I respect that. I know the arguments in favor of that view, though I don't agree with them. So bear with me, though, um, as I work with the assumption that God can still give these gifts if God chooses to. And so we need to talk about them because um, if they are available, we could really benefit from the healthy use and the healthy expression of them. For example, if a gift like prophecy is about hearing from God, along with teaching where we hear from God, from God's word, if those Um, two are for argument's sake, like two ears. Aren't two ears better than one? Wouldn't a body function better hearing in stereo? Hearing with two ears rather than just with one? And what about healing? Wouldn't it be great if we saw people either already in the church or outside of it experiencing powerful healing in Jesus' name from the things that they were suffering with or that were crippling them? wouldn't that bring great honor to God and attract people to Jesus and be great evidence of the reality that God's kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven? Now, of course, the danger is, we you those gifts more highly than other gifts? Or we chase after the supernatural and we, we don't do the hard, slow work of, of growing in more ordinary ways. But as far as I can tell, that's not really a problem at CBC. We're not in danger of overvaluing or getting distracted by so-called supernatural gifts. I'd say, if anything, we should be more open, more hungry for God to stretch us in those ways. Well, I realize the topic topic of so-called supernatural gifts is a long conversation. So let's get back to the main point Paul is making, which is to think body, to think we, not me. If we are undervaluing certain gifts, saying, I don't need you, we don't need that gift, that is so damaging, not only to the people with the gift, but also to the whole body, which is now limping along without all of its parts. So again, I'm, I'm asking, what gifts Are we lacking at CBC? And what do we do about that? Now, it's easy to say, well, we should pray that God would bring people uh, with those gifts. And we should do that, but that's the easy part. The harder part is, will we really accept and embrace and celebrate those God brings in answer to our prayers? Because they're going to be really different from us. And they may see things differently and they may value different things than we value. Will we embrace them and actually give them a seat at the table? Or will we let ourselves feel uncomfortable and threatened and say, that's not who we are, that's not what we value, so keep your gifts to yourself. It's hard. Diversity, difference, it stretches us. It makes us uncomfortable. It's not natural for us to view people so different from us as a gift. But if we can think we instead of me, if we can think of the health of the body instead of myself or yourself as one of those parts then maybe we can remember that a healthy body is diverse and that we need all the parts so as we close take another look at your hand hand is great right but imagine what that hand would be without the rest of the body maybe you've seen the adams family think of thing that's what happens if we're thinking me And we're not thinking we. Now look at your whole body. We need all the parts. That's why we have to think we. So question as we close. It's the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Is there someone at CBC who's really different from you that you can be thankful for this morning? Think who that is. Who are you thankful for this morning whose gifts are really different from your own? Why not tell them over coffee? Let's continue to worship.